Welcome everybody to the Ride In NFL DFS podcast, a brand new type of episode. I've been meaning to do it, been wanting to do it. I actually already kind of do it. Uh, to start the rundown of the week's plays, I kind of, you know, review the past week, but I wanted to dedicate a quick 10, 15 minute episode to a review. You know, usually I just blow through it in the first minute or two and that's the end of it, but there are some decent takeaways each week. Um, and it's nice to talk out your process as well. So, you know, I'm usually happy when I queue up the rundown. It's usually Thursday, maybe Friday, uh, if there's a snag. And it's almost the end of the week. It's almost time to watch football. And it's a good feeling. This one, not so much. Monday morning. Five-day work week. Just screaming kids. Fish sticks in the calf. Lots to look forward to this week. Uh, So this doesn't bring about the same euphoric feeling as the Thursday and Friday episode. However, we're still going to trudge through. A quick review of the week seven slate. Um, I ended up sweeping in cash. uh, A nice bounce back from last week where they took two points away from Cooper Cup at about 7.30 and it ended up bubbling the cash line. This week uh, survived the Matt Ryan debacle. Was aided by... Dalvin Cook putting up a 30 spot at only about 30% owned. Uh, Obviously Leonard Fournette, smash spot. No really uh, no reason to hash out why Fournette was a play. Uh, But I think my wide receivers were interesting. And, And this week I entered a bit more head to head lineups than I normally do, and that's because I had a little bit of boomer bust in my wide receivers, so I felt like if they all hit, I would probably have a 90 percentile lineup or so. That obviously didn't happen. Uh, Remained inside the cash line, though. So the first was T.Y. Hilton. He was crazy owned. I'm surprised. I know know he was going to be chalk, but I didn't think he was going to be Uh, pushing 70% ownership in double-ups. But to be honest, you know, he smashed those first three weeks when he was healthy with Jacoby Brissett. They're getting him all types of run. He's not just a a deep threat anymore. You know, with Jacoby Brissett, that A dot has come way down. So I think we have to change the way we think about T.Y. Hilton. Uh, he, He only had an average depth of target of about eight yards per target coming into the game. They're using him on tunnel screens. Yesterday, I mean, he was working the intermediate zones really well. You know, he was running his routes and sitting down in the zone and getting targets that way. So I think we just had a misconception, or some people had a misconception of the type of receiver T.Y. Hilton has become this year, uh, and that probably led them to fade him. 
he was probably one of the better uh, plays in that area in terms of uh, the 5-6K to six K range. John Brown, as soon as the Dolphins' two corners were ruled out, uh, especially Xavier Howard, I was all in. I was teetering on the brink of, of playing him anyway, uh, but in that smash spot with second and third string defensive backs all over the field, I feel like John Brown was a pretty easy play. I had Cooper Cup in my lineup for the second week in a row, and for the second week in a row, he didn't do much, um, but I trust John Paulson at 4 for 4. He had him as his top-ranked receiver on the week. He had him as his top-ranked value in terms of DraftKings scoring and pricing, uh, our value metric on the week. So that was an easy pull for me, a uh, pull of the trigger. And I don't regret it. I just think that the game got away from the Falcons and they really didn't need to go at Cup as much as they would have if the Falcons put up half of a fight. Uh, so I don't think that that is necessarily uh, a bad call in retrospect. And then I also had Alan Lazard. I tweeted out that, you know, I really liked this lineup and I didn't want to uh, go crazy and swap Lazard out. Uh, and I think that was the right play too. I mean, I kept this lineup, ended up cashing. Lazard worked with the first team in warm-ups. He was on the field a ton. I don't have the exact snap count, but he was on the field a ton. Uh, got his targets. Almost caught a touchdown. He caught a, a deep ball down to, like, the two-yard line. Everybody on the on the Packers caught a touchdown, basically, except Lazard. So I would do it over at 3K if I had to. Uh, the thing that kind of stings, though, is if I took Lazard out, I would have had to take it cup out and I was the lineup that I was toying with had Darren Waller in it um, so I probably would have smashed even more if I swapped but in the end things worked out I went Hunter Henry at tight end I, I couldn't believe that Mark Andrews was more owned than Hunter Henry in certain contests I thought Hunter Henry at 4k uh, in this spot against the Titans defense that was struggling somewhat against the tight end just was an awesome spot for him, especially at 4K. Uh, so I slotted him in. I toyed with the idea of two tight ends with Hooper, which probably would have been just as good because um, they both almost 3X'd. Well, Henry almost 4X'd. Hooper almost 3X'd thanks to that late touchdown. So I think two tight ends wouldn't have been a terrible idea, especially if you got Darren Waller. Now, obviously, if you played Evan Ingram or... Mark Andrews, you kind of suffered there. But we'll get to tight end ownership in a second. And then lastly, um, I could not get my preferred defense of the Bears into my lineup, no matter what. I kept getting, I kept being left with, you know, 2,900, 2,700 when I was running my lineups. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to have to come off them. I don't want to, um, I don't want to rearrange things just to get a defense in. So I thought to myself, you know, I, I was targeting that game because it had a low total and a turnover-prone quarterback in Mitch Trubisky. So, obviously, what I'm talking about is I just flopped sides and went Saints D. They had a pretty good game. I think they, they came in at 10 or 11 or 12 DraftKings points for two, for 2,900. You know, just Mitch just doesn't look good. I figured if I'm going to continue... If I wanted the Bears, I thought that game was going to be a slugfest. So I pulled the trigger on the Saints. Uh, good week. About 69. Nice number. 
90% of my cash lineups, uh, excuse me, my head-to-head -head lineups. So it was a pretty good week. Had one or two GPP teams that, um, you know, didn't smash, but did pretty well. Uh, no Aaron Rodgers, though, so no big caches this week. Uh, some takeaways from the week. Uh, I think my biggest takeaway is to not just assume that lockdown corners are going to lock down a team's number one receiver. In both articles that I write, I mentioned Allen Robinson and how Matt Nagy really loves to move him into the slot and how Marshawn Lattimore has only covered the slot 8% of the time this season and not to be afraid of a 5,500 Allen Robinson against the Saints. That proved to be true. If you watch the game, there were times where Allen Robinson was on the outside and Lattimore lined up across from him, but there was also a great portion of the time in which he was in the slot uh, across from who I thought was P.J. Williams, but I didn't realize that he was suspended for this game. Um, nonetheless, it really didn't matter who was guarding Allen Robinson as long as it wasn't Marshawn Lattimore. And even when he, Lattimore was on him, Allen Robinson did pretty did pretty well. Um, so moral of the story there, make sure that, you know, there's going to be a true shadow going on if you're going to shy away from a corner. The other thing I wanted to point out was, um, you know, ownership in cash and doing this dance where we try to pivot off of guys that are going to be high owned. Well, coming in this into this week, I had projected... And I know most other sites had projected um, a pretty even split among the tight ends. What happened, though, was Hunter Henry and Mark Andrews gobbled up like 70% of the ownership in cash games in most lineups. That is something I didn't expect. Uh, Mark Andrews was, I thought, going to be the least owned of the top five tight ends, which was um, Hooper, Engram, Waller, Henry and then obviously Mark Andrews. So the point that I'm trying to make here is that, you know, shying away from a certain tight end because you thought they were going to have a ton of ownership this week, maybe like Austin Hooper, um, I definitely projected him to have more ownership than, than 10 to 15% in cash games. So if you're shying away from him solely for the fact that he was, you thought he was going to be 25 to 30% owned, and then, you know, Sunday comes and he's not, and you faded him, you pivoted just because of ownership, that's a bad move because oftentimes ownership is not uh, clear as day. So that's why I just like to slot in my optimal lineup, the guys that I think are going to be the best point per dollar plays, and not really worry about ownership. If there's weeks where we bubble the cash line because we have a ton of ownership, so be it. But I'm just trying to play the best plays in cash. And the last takeaway that I had this week uh, from the Matt Ryan debacle was that I'm probably going to put a priority on getting running quarterbacks into my lineup, into my cash game lineup at least, uh, more often than, than traditional quarterbacks. And here's why. We saw Lamar Jackson this week not have a ton of success in the passing game. Still over 20 DK points, 25 DK points about because of his rushing prowess. Same thing with Russell Wilson. Uh, not a great week through the air, but did add about 30 rushing yards onto his total. And you don't think that that's a lot, but it's basically a passing touchdown that he added onto 
his bottom line. And then when you have a guy like Matt Ryan, who, you know, just completely duds on us, just completely, you know, that offense looked absolutely terrible. I think the safety of a running quarterback is something that uh, we underestimate a lot. Now, sure, there were traditional quarterbacks, Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, that absolutely smashed. But in cash, uh, that floor that the rushing points gives uh, a quarterback who can uh, be mobile, get out of the pocket, is something that I will be chasing going forward. Okay, let's take a little look at tonight's showdown slate between the Patriots and the Jets. And one thing that we have to be cognizant of on these showdown slates is that if you're playing in these 150 lineup tournaments or even the $3 20 max that has hundreds of thousands of entries associated with it, it it really behooves you to make unique lineups, right? If you're just slotting in the six most owned players, you might as well just start playing double ups because what's going to happen is you're going to hack that pot up about a thousand ways and your $10 entry fee is going to end up winning you $7.66. That's just the way it goes. You have to have one or two pieces in every lineup that's a little bit different. Because, and even if it is the week where the optimal lineup is the winner, that's not what you're chasing. You're not chasing a first place if you have to split it with 700 people. Um, So you always want to be making your lineups with a little bit uh, of contrarian thought. And this week, uh, I think there are definitely some ways to do it. And I'm not an expert on showdown. I've had some success but I will just, you know, talk through a few ways that I think you can make your lineup uh, a little bit different. And the first way this week, especially, I think, is playing both Patriots running backs. I think we'll see a lot of lineups that don't have both James White uh, and Sony Michelle in it. But Patriots are short on pass catchers. I could see them splitting James White out a lot or running two back formations where... Uh, Sony Michelle and James White are both on the field. So I think that's one way to differentiate. Um, I also think Ryan Griffin, who is a very inexpensive uh, $1,400 tight end from the Jets, is not a bad dart throw in a lineup or two. He has virtually played like 90% of the snaps this year. If you look at his snap log, he's only off the field maybe four, five, six snaps a game out of between 50 and 70 snaps. He doesn't always get targeted, but the fact that he's on the field uh, is something that we can't take for granted. He has a four-target game. He has a three-target game last week with a touchdown. And ironically, those two games are both with Sam Darnold. So I think the fact that Sam Darnold is back helps Ryan Griffin a bunch. The other player that I want to mention is Demarius Thomas. Uh, There's been a lot of speculation that this is somewhat of a revenge game for him, and I don't necessarily believe in the revenge narrative at all times. 
However, he's come out and said that he felt disrespected by the Patriots, the way that they signed him and released him, uh, traded him to the Jets. So the fact of the matter is, I think there could be some bad blood here and that the Jets might try to feed Demarius Thomas the ball a little bit. I mean, he has nine targets two weeks ago and four targets last week. He has eight and ten fantasy points, respectively, in the last two weeks. So he is definitely someone that I think we can slot into our lineup, and hopefully he falls into the end zone. The other way we can get a little bit different is to pick a not-so-obvious captain. I think James White is a good captain tonight for the reasons that I mentioned before, but also because he is teetering around that 13, 14, 15 point range without really having scored uh, a touchdown to this point in the season. So I think if he can fall into the end zone, he does have one touchdown on the season, um, but most of his stat lines are just from you know these 10 target games where he's catching six, seven, eight passes for 50 yards. If he can get some touchdown variance to swing his way and put up a 25 spot, then I think we'd really be in business because I don't think he'll be in the captain slot very much uh, tonight. And the last way I think we can get a little bit contrarian. Now, obviously, you're doing one of these things in every lineup, not all four or five, but I think we can fade the Patriots' defense. Now, seems crazy, right? They have like four games of five sacks or more. They have like five defensive touchdowns, 25 sacks across six games. They're averaging 20 fantasy points a game. But let's take a look at who they faced. They've faced Pitt, crushed them. Roethlisberger looked terrible. They went up to New England. They always are bad uh, in Foxborough for some reason. They absolutely got smashed. Nothing there. No real excuses there. They played great on defense. But then they played Miami, this Jets team without Sam Darnold, the Bills, the Redskins, and the Giants. I mean, that is murder's row for a defensive schedule. So I could see this week, I'm not saying the Jets are going to light the world on fire, but if this ends up being a 31-20 game and Sam Darnold protects the ball, and the Patriots end up with three, four, five fantasy points, their salary of 7200 on this DraftKings showdown slate um, is definitely fadeable if that's the outcome. And then you definitely want to make sure the correlations go along with that. Obviously, if the Jets are going to put a few touchdowns on the board, we want to look at Jamison Crowder, Le'Veon Bell, etc. in these Patriot defense DST list lineups. So those are the ways I think we can get a little bit contrarian tonight. Good luck. I will talk to you for the Week 8 Ride In NFL DFS podcast on Thursday. Oh, oh, oh. All I see is signs. All I see is dollar signs.